Hello, and welcome to another story from the CRISPR drawer. Sorry about the uh, July hiatus, pretty much. I'm recording this July 30th. I had recorded one episode in July, but it never made it to air, mostly because I wasn't satisfied with the end result of it. So, hopefully uh, that idea comes back around and I will get back onto it. And The, the theme of that, po- that episode, hopefully I can bring that in later on and reconnect that and maybe we'll be uh, with some other stuff going on as well. I can dedicate some more time to it soon. And so that's about it for <laughs> mostly in, uh, you know, the small little things involving the podcast. The other thing was my uh, old Jaws Consortium website got taken down. Uh, somebody, uh, a group of hackers attacked the original server it was based on. So it's all gone. Wasn't much on there anymore. Um, don't really think it's worth recovering, so I'm making a new one, <laughs> and that should be fun. Helping been uh, with my good friend Simon is going to be helping me bring that up to speed and get that started all up again. Uh, it's slightly disappointing that it went down, but you know you can't really do too much about that. Uh, I mean, it would be more understandable if I wasn't paying my rent for the you know paying my subscription fee or something like that, but. Accidents do happen, and servers get hacked every once in a while, and you lose content. So, whatever. Uh, this, so, JawsConsortium.com is physically up, but there's nothing really on it yet. Uh, we haven't gotten around to working on it. That'll be next week and the week after that. I am recording this July 31st, if I haven't said that prior. Well, before <laughs> when I just announced it. But we'll see. Uh, I got a little agenda to talk about this uh Good old July 31st, the end of the month, going into August. Um, August, I should have a bit more free time, and I should dedicate more time to it. Again, uh, I did record an episode mid-July, but just... The main topic was the social with social media, is it good or is it bad? And I just didn't feel like how I, myself, was talking about it was good. I definitely need guests on to talk about it. And make it maybe not just one podcast, but multiple episodes. Make it more segments in an episode where I have somebody on to talk to them about it, get their feeling. I mean, I I have a vision of how that's going to go, but I don't really want to jump in it by myself. I think that that's wasting my time and wasting your time, of course. That's why that episode didn't see a light of day. Uh, Fairly certain I had something else I talked about in that episode, but I can't remember... Obviously, it wasn't that important. I could look it it up and bring it back. I was talking about how I had some other stuff coming in. So let's jump into it. Some stuff that has happened in the last month that I can definitely discuss without any problem. Uh, So I have now played the Holy Trinity of Ace Combat on the PlayStation 2, which is Ace Combat 4, Shattered Skies, Ace Combat 5, Unsung War, and Ace Combat 0, The Belkin War. Belka did it. Uh... So, first of all, starting from Ace Combat 4, there's a definite shift in technology. You can see from 4 to 0 how nicer it is. Uh, compared to Ace Combat 6, they bo- they're all really good story games. Ace Combat 0 has an interesting way of rewarding you based on your playstyle of having uh, neutral uh, units in the field, in the game zone. So if you destroy them, you move more to a mercenary. If you don't destroy them, you're more of a knight and... If you sit in the middle in the soldier, you destroy a few, but you don't. Sort of like how it rewards you going that way with better airplanes or certain airplanes and certain strategies. So if you're more of a mercenary, you fight harder enemies earlier on. If you're more of a soldier, but you get the better gear. Uh, if you're if you're a soldier, sorry, 
If you're a mercenary, you fight harder enemies earlier on, but you get better gear and you get paid more faster. If you're a knight, it's technically an easier gameplay because it's just you're only destroying the targets you're supposed to destroy, uh, nothing else. But you get weaker units. Uh, well, you don't get rewarded as fast, so it's harder for you to upgrade and continue on, which how I did my first playthrough was mostly playthrough as a knight. I haven't actually completed the knight uh, playthrough perfectly yet. I have three levels I didn't successfully play through in a knight, so I need to play those. Uh, I need to play the campaign again just to get the, those three levels in night mode so I can in the night end result so I can get the two airplanes that are hidden in those levels uh, but you know that, that's an interesting way uh, Apes Combat 5 how you have to do a certain amount of work with each airplane certain kill percentages with each airplane to upgrade uh, to another version of that airplane so it's like oh you've got the uh, you've got the F5E well if you play do certain well you get the F20E and it's it's, that's an interesting way of doing it. Um, don't mind that. Uh, Ace Combat Zero is much similar to Ace Combat 4 and Assault Horizon in my books, where it's just like, well, I shouldn't say Ace Combat Assault Horizon. Uh, Ace Combat 6, where it's like you have to shoot down a certain enemy uh, in a certain difficulty mode to get certain um, to get certain sprays, but otherwise you can pretty much buy all the planes except for the uh, super plane, which you have to beat the game two times and at least one time on normal, I believe, or one time on hard. So that's much more like Ace Combat 6. Uh, Ace Combat 5 definitely has the most amount of planes, followed by Ace Combat 0. But the games are all really good. Uh, I can definitely see why they'd be considered the holy trinity of Ace Combat in that era. It's kind of sad that those games were so good at that time period, and now we've had such a drought between 6, and then we had Ace Combat Assault Horizon, which came out on PC. Uh, but Ace Combat 6 was an Xbox exclusive and also, they, they should remaster all of these, really. like There's no reason ba Namco Bandai isn't, except for uh, they don't want to, or Bandai Namco. I forget I think, I forget how they do it. Uh, but those are really, really good. I mean, it would obviously be uh, an expensive remaster to do them all, because there is uniquenesses, and you have to get certain you know, voice acting all done and stuff like that. And they could keep the voice acting, actually, but... You're probably like, with the new technology, you could do new tricks, which we'll see what they do in Ace Combat 7 coming out. And they sort of rehashed Ace Combat for a little bit, I want to say, in Ace Combat Infinity. I never played it. It was a PlayStation 3 exclusive online only, which that game should have definitely um, been a... That, that should have been released on every platform, and it shouldn't have been an online-only game. I do like the idea of online-only games, but it... It had a short life, and it, you know, as a free-to-play game, you actually had to grind a lot. You didn't have a lot of capability to grind because you didn't have a lot of fuel for ta for sorties, and therefore you had to pay. Uh, it was kind of like the Japanese free-to-play, like, you can play this for free, but you're not going to get the great experience out of it. And, of course, I'm speaking as somebody who hasn't played it, so there are probably people who have played it. Um, but yeah, those are those are really fun games. I can't believe I never knew about them prior. Like, the first Ace Combat game I played was 6 for my 360 when I had it. And the only reason I played it is because I spotted it at Blockbuster. I'm like, that's a cool freaking yeah, Blockbuster. That's going back. But yeah, it's like, it's a cool thing. And I was sort of remembering, to you know, Top Gun, Tom Cruise, and all that, like fighter jet ga games and fighter jet videos. And now... That stuff just comes so far along, it, it's great. And hopefully with Ace Combat 7 coming out soon with VR, um, like, 
I know that VR is exclusive for the PlayStation platform right now. I really hope it doesn't stay exclusive and that that's a timed exclusive and that the PC gets uh, VR too because that what it's probably going to be is amazing. Just straight up amazing. And speaking of PlayStation VR, I have now had a unit for over two weeks that I'm able to talk on. And they are... it. it it's quite a simple little thing, quite slick. It comes with a little box. You plug in an HDMI cord from your uh, PlayStation 2 and then one into your amp or your, go into your TV. So that's an in and out uh, device. Then you've got your connection that you plug uh, your headset into as well. And, and you plug your camera into the back of the PlayStation, which is a unique, weird-looking USB-like thing, which I don't really like too much. I got the Skyrim version. I've only I haven't played Skyrim yet. On I've only played uh, Gran Turismo Sport, Super Hot, and Archangel in it. Really, Archangel's fun. Uh, so is Super Hot. Like Super Hot is, even though that's a first-person sh- uh, shooter game when it first came out. It's well, it's an amazing VR game. That great on those guys for trans, you know, changing that game or making a VR version of that game because that is unbelievable how it works and then uh, Archangel's fun you're just basically a pilot of a giant freaking mech going through battlefields destroying enemy forces really good uh, surprisingly uh, well how do I say this uh, so, like I was playing on easy and I wasn't used to the control scheme so maybe a little bit of tweaking on that in the future with the movement controllers uh, just because you, you forget which is on which arm, and even though you're seeing them, it's like, oh, I need to move that, and you lose your cursors too quickly. And I think it's just, again, um, that's a similar thing I noticed with the Wii, uh, Nintendo Wii uh, remotes. When playing, um, what game is it? Resident Evil, uh, uh, Umbrella Chronicles, and Darkseid Chronicles, how your arm gets into a, like, there's no really good position to hold your wrist when doing that. Besides, if you're sitting down, it's like you have a really crappy place. You have to put your arm to get the sensor to properly line up. If you're standing up, it's, like, at your hip. So, yeah, have to find, like, these ways to hold it. And definitely you can see why that, um, the Wii use the Wii Zapper, um, would be good, which I don't have. Uh, I can, I was playing a little bit of Bravo Team, which is a, uh, first-person uh, shooter sort of thing in VR, and that's odd. It gets awkward in um, and it, with the PlayStation Move controllers. I can definitely see the aim controller that's specifically made for those type of games is far better for it, and I would really like to play that, and I wish the Gran Turismo part wasn't just like a stapled on addition, just like, hey, you can do time trail, and you can race against one other thing, and you don't really get any points for it. It's like, eh, it's not that great. But it, it, it's fun. It's a good tech demo. And I hope that that technology keeps going and they're able to do much more of that uh, going forward. Uh, anything else really that was going on? Uh, I mean, I could talk about a few other things. Things. Uh, well, uh, hopefully I'll be able to start making video live streams of this. I have to get, of course, video editing software and... You know, crap like that. So the question is, do I subscribe to Adobe or do I buy a product uh, like Sony Vegas Studios or something like that? I don't know. Probably all those guys are moving to subscription model anyway, and I don't blame them. If it, like, 
yeah, so there's there's that. Sorry for that pause. But uh, y- you can understand why the subscription model works when somebody is keeping, um, when the guys you're subscribing to is keeping the content up to date and they're updating everything you're paying for and you're not seeing, um, you know, bug problems and stuff like that going on. But if, if, if you're paying for a subscription model system and you're not seeing the quality of content happen through it, like you're not seeing the new additions and new programming and new stuff coming on, and you're like, oh, this is weird and awkward. It's not going that well. And you sort of start thinking, like, is it worth it? But I know from Adobe's Creative Cloud how extreme, how well done that is. Um, I just, it's just, it's pretty damn good in that field. Um, and then, you know, I have to <laughs> look into buying some of that. Now, the question is, do I buy the entire Adobe thing and help design my new website and get some other stuff and maybe get a logo, uh, another logo design for draw, for uh, the CRISPR drawer? Because I don't have one yet. I just have my old Jaws Consortium logo, which I uh, have to move over. And, you know, there's, st- there's stuff you, you, you ha- I have to think about. Uh, but going forward, like, we'll approach that when I come to it. And I do want to have uh, potentially live streaming f- for an upcoming, uh, uh, you know, upcoming event. Uh, my joke is I wish I could have live streaming for this podcast with four microphones ready for about, um, you know, the U.S. midterm election, just to make fun of it, just to have three other friends over, sit in front of the TV and watch CNN or Fox or I don't know if the BBC would be covering it uh, or NBC or MSNBC or one of those channels and just yelling angrily no matter what. Like, who cares who wins? Let's just insult it. Maybe take, like, a really libertarian stance on it. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. And then, you know, working on some other stuff going forward. Uh, anything else I really should jump on? Uh, well, because this is going to be kind of a short episode if I'm going to run out of ideas to talk about really quickly. But I did see... Both Equalizer Two and Mission Impossible Fallout re- very recently, and I guess I could jump into those my reviews of them. Okay, uh, let's go with Equalizer Two. Equalizer Two is a good movie under the grounds of like it's got good action, it's got an okay story. The actors are all pretty good. The, the problem is it feels like there's three stories in that movie and they only care about two. So they've got Denzel Washington with the other guy who with the um young student who he's trying to teach that he doesn't have to be part of the gang lifestyle, which is kind of a cool little thing, and care for him. They've got the uh, friend who gets killed, um, which is the main plot of the movie, what really drives it forward. And then it's him and his wife, like, you know, his past life. They give these hints on it. But it's just like, I, I don't know. It feels like there's three stories there that they started and they only really cared about two. They only finished two and they finished one really well and then kind of sat on it for 30 minutes and then it had to come back. Uh, And then there was a bunch of other stuff going on. I mean, it it, it seems like the action was good. The the actors were good. It just, you know... uh, it feels like it's a movie they made a second one of because the first one was so damn good and they could and they got greenlit and paid for it really quickly. But, you know, hopefully that means that... I, mean, I just wish there was better writing. And maybe there was... Maybe that movie should have been longer. Maybe there's stuff cu- cut on the floor that shouldn't have been there. 
it, it just it felt like it could have been a bigger movie, a better movie than what it was. It was good. It wasn't amazing. It was still a movie. Denzel's still a pretty good actor, so not really complaining about that too much. But, you know, still, there should have been improvements to it. Or did they cut out the good stuff? Or are they making a third one that is going to explain something that happened in this one? But considering this one, besides from the name, and Denzel has very little connection to the old one, it's like, okay, whatever. And it seemed like they were doing doing, uh, too convoluted of an idea just to make it convoluted. But that's just me. That's just me. And the second movie, so Fallout, I mean, Mission Impossible Fallout was the next movie I had seen. I saw that only a few days ago, Sunday, uh, July 29th. That was really good. And I have not seen uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. I've seen all but Rogue Nation. And that was a really, really good movie. That, That was just a fun movie. The amount of filming and the beautiful places they took the movie to and the action scenes and you know, the story was pretty good. The actors were pretty good. Again, it, um, I can see it's probably the best Mission Impossible movie out right now. I, I don't... It, it felt like it had a good story. It had good actors, good characters, good set pieces. Like, everything felt... None of it felt rushed. None of it felt like they were reaching for anything. It just... Everything clicked together pretty damn well. Um... I don't like the female lead in the movie. Um, more, I don't like the character that she plays versus her. Um, but I haven't seen the movie she first appeared in, which is Rogue Nation, and apparently that's she's good in that. So, okay. Maybe there's a reason for that character being that way. I don't know. I think that that character was really didn't feel as good as it should have been. But, you know, again, that's just me. That's just my take on it. But, uh, yeah, Rogue Nation was good. Definitely worth seeing. Uh, definitely deserves the quote of being one of the highest earning. Uh, I, th- I think it is the highest earning Mission Impossible opening ever, which is uh, amazing. Uh, I I couldn't believe it when it had, like, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes or something. Like, or was it 98? It was some, like, ridiculous thing. It has amazing scores from both the critics and the audiences, which you rarely see for a summer blockbuster like that. You usually see the audience either love it or the critics love, or the cr- and the critics are lukewarm to it. You usually don't see like just universal appra- uh, acclaim across the board. I mean, of course, it's not going to get an Oscar, but still. <laughs> so that, that that's uh, sort of catching yourselves up. Uh, what else? trying to remember because yeah i was talking about the idea of social media and i threw that out and that was half that episode that was an hour and 14 minute long episode and i don't think that there was stuff and there i really need to talk too much about uh bring it back because I, I i honestly don't remember most of that i mean you know uh, i was hoping to for some more episodes and more guests to come on but timing wasn't great and it's sort of hard calling a friend out well, not calling a friend out, but like talking to somebody you haven't seen in about a year and a half and saying, like, you want to hang out and then immediately do a podcast episode? You got to plan those things out, and that's production effort that I haven't put in, so I need to start doing that. But, you know, that's another thing from the CRISPR drawer is just <laughs> learning where to go and trying to set a schedule and stick onto it. And 
you know, I, I it's not super bad that I really had the month of uh, July practically off. But, you know, I should have tried more, at least. Uh, uh, but, you know, you learn. You learn and you keep going. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's just, yeah. You got to move on. You got to practice these things. Uh, you start just discovering what's going on, how how stuff's going. But uh, you know, it's not it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to slow down. It's just it's not super great in the long run. But it, it, I tell you, it was a sort of a shock when I went on to uh, <laughs> went on the internet and I was on Facebook and th- you know it has my ad my uh, you know stories from the Crispy Roar page and it posted underneath it like <laughs> which was quite hilarious my yeah uh, my that uh, my, my uh, it said Dross Consortium account suspended I'm like what the frick is this Yeah. And it was just like that. It was crazy. Also, I need to get on to... Jeez, um, I can't... I, uh, like I, I need to get on to edit the uh, games night we had. Me and a bunch of the guys had in June. I haven't gotten around to editing that yet. Um... Part of that is I legitimately have not felt the motivation to do so, but you know I'll I'll get onto that soon. I'm thinking of doing some other, you know, just extend spending out to that. Maybe I should make that a um, get the uh, condenser mic for my brother. That would be great for recording all of us at the same time and plugging that into my camera, so that the camera, so I could run my camera like live video that straight up. It depends. Uh, it completely depends on the guys. I'm fine with recording it audioly, but and they seem to. Uh, it depends if they want to have see, like be viewed or not. I don't know. Um, uh, it's it's up to them. I don't want to force anybody into a position of doing this podcast or be involved in this content that doesn't agree to it. Even though Canada is largely a single party, so on my private property, it's my can like I can give consent to record, but yeah. Stuff to worry about. Um, Not to worry about. Stuff to think about in the future. I haven't named this episode yet. (laughs) Yeah, it's been quite a crazy, crazy July. Uh, You know, you go online, you read about the... Oh, yeah, the the other thing, the straw ban that's going on in uh, Santa Barbara, which is now, like, finable and prison time. Like, each straw is, like, a $5,000 U.S. fine. Or six months in prison. It's like, okay, the United States, Canada, the rest of the Americas, so that includes South and Central America and the rest of North America, the Caribbean, Europe, and Australia. and, and Well, Oceania, actually, the continent of Oceania, mo- most of it, uh, attr- is able to c- attribute to a... Pr- a pr- Attributes to ocean plastic less than 5%. China, India, Cambodia, and Thailand. Uh, not Cambodia. Laos and Vietnam are one of the largest contributors to ocean... Are the largest contributors to ocean plastic. 
and then Africa, and then the rest of Asia. Your straw ban, it's like you're banning something that doesn't go into the ocean anyway, so you're literally doing almost nothing. Now, I'm not saying that some straws in the U.S. don't make it into the ocean, but, you know, th- this whole thing where it's like 9 million straws a year from the United States get thrown into the average, get dumped into the ocean. It's like, that story is so incredibly fake because it was a 9-year-old who did a telephone survey who doesn't know how to, you know, a 9-year-old, unless that 9-year-old has an IQ of 190 and has a PhD, he probably doesn't know how to actually properly do a survey. So I doubt that that his statistics are correct. <laughs> Specifically since it's just one nine-year-old. There's no other surveys around that. I hope that real uh, documentation and surveys start f- coming around and talking about that and finding about that. So ranting on that for a little second there. Um, it would be nice that st- that stuff gets recycled. Oh, yeah, and I saw um, Starbucks is selling uh, like these special straws, like paper or bioorganic straws that come in plastic wrappers so let's put it this way so we used to go from plastic straws in paper wrappers and now we're going to paper straws in plastic wrappers um you guys obviously aren't getting the problem here the problem is we want to reduce plastic at all cost like we just don't want we don't want plastic we want paper to replace this or we want some other composite uh, some other bioorganic composite that can dissolve or disintegrate or com- compose, like, you know, become compost and break down that doesn't damage the environment. We don't want uh, petroleum-based plastic straws anymore. And I- I'm fine with that. Go for that. Like, less garbage in the world is good. Perfect. So you solve that by making a paper or some bioorganic straw that can break down and decompose, but you put it in plastic wrappers. I think you missed the point of the idea. But we're going ahead from that. You know, you can only solve so many problems at a time. I mean, I, I, I thought we were going to get rid of this plastic clamshell that still exists. Um, I mean, granted, it's gotten less. Like, remember uh, anyone who's listening who remembers uh, from, like, 2010, like, 2007, I guess, like, even 2004, uh, like, you know, GameCube era. So let's put that at 2000... Yeah, 2002, let's start off at. To 2000 and, like, I don't know, 9 or 10, where every plastic peripheral you had to buy for something came in this bulky um, clamshell packaging that you had to cut up, and it was just, you know, it, it tore at you, and it just wasn't fun, and now, uh, it's, now they've gone to these more um, uh, cardboard-based things. Which is better because the cardboard is recyclable. And the old plastic, it was just like this one-time use and you have to cut it apart and it had that crimping on the end and if you cut it wrong, it was sharp enough to cut your hand and stuff. Like it was just, and it was no fun to get into because you had to use a knife to puncture it and they, somebody made almost an industry in making these little tiny clamp things that go along the side and rip them apart. It's just hilarious. It's, oh, I, why? Why? I I was so happy when they got rid of that. But I'm looking around at toys and stuff I have and, like, collectibles, like my Star Wars X-Wing stuff, and it's still got a ridiculous amount of clamshell plastic on it, even in the the cardboard boxes to hold the fighters and stuff. You know, I I wish we could get rid of that or reduce that. Um, You know, same with other stuff. Uh, Just, 
you know, you, you, you wish you could get rid of this stuff legitimately and you just don't have time to get around to it. Or, unfortunately, it's just too cheap to make. To Like, the, the plastic is the cheapest damn thing and making a comparative... Uh, Divide comparative solution of packaging is just too expensive if it's not plastic based. But yeah, we're the human race. We'll figure something out. We'll we'll get around this. And yeah, well, hopefully, <laughs> we kind of need to. <laughs> we have one planet right now. We're not. We haven't terraformed Mars enough that we can send people to live there. In fact, we haven't put a single damn person on Mars yet. And <sighs> I really hope we do soon. Our technology is good enough. We should be able to do it. And frankly, we should have sent somebody back to the moon by now. I mean, China said by 2020 they're going to put somebody in the moon. I hope that's still a go. But the world economy has been a little weirder in the past few years. And there's been other things to worry about, like making sure North Korea doesn't start a war and Iran. And, you know, you got Donald Trump in his Twitter feed, which is no fun. I mean, it is fun to read. But at the same time, it's like, well, this could go badly. Oh, another thing to talk about. Um, Cody Wilson with Defense Distributed won his lawsuit against the Department of Justice and the, De and the State Department of the United States, prohibiting him from uh, having 3D printed models of guns, specifically the 3D files hosted online. Turns out that's a First Amendment right for him to do that. And Department of Justice, specifically the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Fire Firearms, had to drop their case on that. As well as the State Department did not have enough proof to give him to claim that he was violating ITAR, because all he was doing was protesting against uh, you know gun control, using freedom of speech, and designing a plastic firearm that has limited uses. Now it's really hilarious today. I saw this today where. A Democrat lawmaker, uh, a Democrat lawmaker in the United States, was holding holding up a picture of two AR-15s, and saying that those are going to become plastic ghost guns that nobody can detect at your airport, at your movie, coming to your th a theater near you, coming to an airport near you, coming to a sports game near you. It's like, okay, the ones you're showing still have pla still have metal barrels. They still have metal firing pins. They still have metal ammunition. Metal, metal detectors will pick these up. These things are not super easy to put together in the field. You and they're bulky. Like right now, the um, the Liberator is quite a bulky pistol. The uh, Defense Distributed Liberator is quite a bulky pistol, and you only get so many shots through it before it falls apart. And I know there's better um, additive manufacturing and 3D printing techniques coming along, but. They're still going to be bulky. They're still going to require some metal parts in them to do it because you can't... Uh, they haven't been able to figure out a perfect way to make these things hold up to the heat yet. Uh, they probably will in the future soon, but they still don't have composite ammunition yet. So you're s And they don't have composite bullets yet. So you're still going to have a weapon that may be plastic. No, no. How I, how I can see... Um, the 3D printer makers fighting this is they're not fighting the printing, but the the plastic they use is a radar opaque plastic, a lot like the composites that Glock uses in their lower frames, and a lot of other pistols now use that. Like their lower frames are radar or um, 3D opaque or um, X-ray opaque um, 
plastic. So when you put it through an x-ray machine, like it shows up like the frickin' 4th of July. There's no hiding that son of a bitch. And a lot of them also are, a lot, like the existing pistols have metal inserts to hold them together to keep the frame molding working. And I can see in the future 3D printing being able to get beyond that. But you're probably still going to have um, like x-ray opaque um, opaque um, plastic. So an x-ray machine is going to pick that sucker up pretty quickly. Your firing pin still probably going to be metal. Uh, I don't know how you're going to get too far past that. You're still probably going to have a metal firing pin. You may, They might be able to eventually make a, a composite firing pin, but that's going to have a much less um, life than the metal ones would. So you're going to have to deal with questionable reliability, and they'll probably solve that in the future too. But you're still gonna. But we've, nobody's gotten past the composite ammunition yet, because plastic right now does not do the same job as steel and brass when you ignite a um, well, when you ignite a fire um, gunpowder in it, cordite in it. It just doesn't work as well. Now, again, in the future, they might do that. I mean, the U.S. military is working on composite-based ammunition. But they're still having metal primers, and they're still having metal ammunition. And as far as I know, nobody started working towards composite bullets and projectiles. They're, they're working towards the casing being a composite, or at least a 50-50. Or they're working on the uh, telescopic uh, casing. But from what I've been able to see, there's no way to make a plastic bullet like a 5.56 or a 7.62 NATO or a 7 or 6.5 Creedmoor or a 5.7 or a 7.62 by 39 there's I've seen very little evidence that there's a way to make those bullets plastic and have reliability in flight accuracy and penetration capability that the metal based metal and the metal uh, lead and copper jacketed uh, ammo has I've seen even evidence that even some of the steel ones, uh, besides from the armor penetrating, is like, you know, in certain things, like aluminum uh, shotgun shells don't hold up that well. And there's steel... Uh, no, I've seen... Like, Demolition Ranch has a video where he's shooting this um, shotgun shell. Uh, it's a slug that breaks into three, uh, four pieces. It's got a centerpiece, and it's got three other pieces that fly out, and it's got string attached to hold it in. But... Uh, and it wasn't lead... I don't know if that was steel or aluminum or was another uh, metal similar, but it wasn't strong enough and it was too, it wasn't, didn't have enough uh, weight to it to actually keep the flight path and ha have it uh, penetrate the target. And he was shooting at a pretty close range target. So, you know, there's, um, you know, like people who say that this is going to be an extreme danger coming for coming. It's like, well, you guys panic about absolutely everything. But you're not going to... Like, the genie's already out of the bottle, and you're not going to stop it, and it's only going to become more easier. What, you're going to stop one guy from making his liberator? No. You might stop him, but you're not going to stop the 400 that take his place, that keep working on it. You're not going to stop the guy in, in uh, you know, Tel Aviv who's doing it. You're not going to stop the guy in Toronto who's doing it. You're not going to stop the guy in Berlin who's making these files. You're not going to stop networks across the world making these files and distributing them as parts together, and then you have to put them all. And you know The only thing about Cody Wilson that got him in trouble is because he had everything. He had the complete package for the gun. 
you could design, put the entire library together on one 3D printer. He had all the files. If he was missing two files, or if he only did half of it, if he only did the barrel, and somebody else did the trigger mechanism, and somebody else did the chassis it sits in, and somebody else did the uh, chambering and the firing mechanism, and stuff like that, and if that was all distributed, and you had to find it all yourself, it would be impossible to track down. And let's face it, this is a war that gun control is not going to win. And gun control is, is, as Cody Wilson says, it's undead, and we keep killing it. And it looks like that's <laughs> the truth about it. Yeah, as, as George Orwell said, uh, a gun on the wall of a of a uh, worker of a laborer's loft or a um, a worker's apartment is the sign of democracy. And we should do as much as we can to make sure that that rifle or gun stays there. Absolutely freaking true. And we're gonna see this. Uh, you know, three D technology is only gonna push this stuff farther and farther. And the more you try to clamp down on it, the harder it's going to be. Because these guys are going to, you know, they're doing it on the open internet right now, the light side of internet, of the internet. Who says they don't go onto the Tor networks in the dark web and start hiding it that way? In fact, it's probably already being done there anyway. I mean, the U.S. government did successfully shut down Silk Road, which is on the, uh, you know, dark web. But there's, they're not hitting everything, and they're not doing a lot. It's like... There's a lot of stuff that goes on that they have a hard time tracking. And, you know, just even using uh, the little OS's tails and cubes uh, to send emails to each other over the over uh, the Tor network work on those USB OS's. If that can work so effectively and get around major Internet defenses, uh, you know, major Internet things like... Um, like the VPN restrictions in Russia, like, uh, you know, getting news out of Iran, um, you know, Syria. If that's how it's working, if that's working that well in countries that are des- are sort of despotic to um, are completely despotic, and I don't know about North Korea, but, you know, who knows about them. Uh, they, I think they just have a, an amazing control of their internet, plus they probably latch on some of China's technology. But um, if we're getting information through that, that effectively. And we know the government's not able to track it, and it takes a ton of infrastructure to do so. And the upcoming digital age war, which probably is going to happen soon. Uh, and by soon, I mean, like, soon as within a relatively soon period of time in human history. I'm not saying, like, soon as I know it's going to happen next week. But it will happen. You know, it, 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 it's it's going to happen. It's a very... Uh, information technology is an extremely effective weapon system by cost compared to everything else. A Tomahawk missile costs $1.1 billion, well, there's including the warhead. And that can only... And unless that's a nuclear-tipped, uh, you know, uh, BGM-109G edition, uh, you know, you're... Uh, which is the graft, which is actually called the Grafton, uh, not the Tomahawk. Uh, but unless it's nuclear tipped weapon system, it's probably, you know, you could, you can blow up a building with a missile. Maybe you can blow up a, an apartment. Maybe you can blow up a small block. Maybe you got a Moab and you can blow up three blocks. With a digital attack, you could bankrupt an entire nation, you could black out an entire nation. You could disrupt the communications of an entire nation, an entire nation, and cause chaos. 
Digital warfare is way scarier. And here's the thing. It's not a one-time use weapon. You can just keep doing it over and over and over again. You change the code a little bit, but you can keep doing it. Shut down nuclear power plants, set up, uh, you know, have, you know, it's quite terrifying the capabilities what you could do with that. Uh, if, if a malicious, if a malevolent person had the ability, was an extremely top-end hacker who just wanted to see the world burn, and thankfully nobody like that exists right now that we know of, but think what they could do. They could turn on the flood. It's, uh, you know, if, if the system was too automated, it would be completely used, useful for abuse. Say so you put the three gorgeous dam and set that sucker up to be completely automated on the floodgates. And then somebody just opens them all up. That's a terrifying prospect to think about. But, yeah. The world we live in. Convenience, uh, you know, liberty does not mean safety. And we have to get used to that. Uh, yeah, I'm running out of things to talk about really here on this, on episode 14. Um, geez, I don't even know what, what to name it. Uh, you know, I, I guess the, the, the tomato with the clapperboard is probably funny. Uh, you know, tomatoes with clapperboards, that actually... <laughs> Yeah, let's roll with that. This is episode 14, Tomatoes with Clapperboards. I'll, I'll, I'll name it that. That's just funny. I'm just looking at my clapperboard right here, and it's like, eh, that can work. That can work. Anyway, yeah, thanks for uh, tuning in. I don't think this one's really going to need a lot of editing. I don't think I'm actually going to edit this one much at all. Uh, I don't know why I say that, because I probably will. Well, I'll call, cut that out. Uh, yeah, fuck that. Who cares? Let's just get this guy up just for the end of the uh, July, and hopefully, you know, we get I get three or four episodes done in August, and you know, try to do uh, going forward three episodes at least a month. We'll see. <laughs> we shall see. Um, you know, would like to be weekly, but we'll we'll we have to work on that <laughs> because I need more people here to do content, and frankly. The only way I'm going to guarantee that is either by paying people, which I don't have enough money to do yet, and I don't really view this turning into an enterprise because I think too many people are doing it too effectively as an enterprise, or I figure something out. Maybe I start doing Let's Plays for fun, or maybe I start doing something else, or you know, get a video capture card and then record myself playing GameCube, game, uh, you know, Dreamcast. I'm like, ah, something I would like to do. I don't know that I'm that interesting to watch but one of my friends has a switch page and it's it's kind of funny nick who did the um i should you know I, sh I should find his up but um uh i'll post it on here uh I'll, next time i remember it i'll look it up prior to the next episode and and give him a little shout out give nick a little shout out on his uh twitch pay video page so uh twitch channel so you guys can go and watch him anyone who actually does and just have fun with him and by have fun, I mean legitimately have fun with him, not make fun of him and not mess with him. Like, whatever he's having fun with, you guys join in. And because I'm not about flaming or hurting anybody about this. It's, it, and, uh, I, you know, I was about to say the cliches, cliche, I'm about holding truth to power and stuff like this. It's like, no, I just want to have fun too. And sometimes fun is, you know, fun should mostly just be like hanging out and talking and 
being cool with each other and watching stuff. And, you know, watching, let's say, the Game Grumps or watching a uh, Jesse Cox video or, you know. Oh, yeah, another thing I should talk about. Uh, so I am a fan of in-range TV and forgotten weapons, and I'm a Patreon of them. And if you guys like that sort of stuff, his, uh, having Ian McCollum uh, talk about uh, seeing cool and rare firearms and him talking a little bit about the history of them and dis- disassembling the ones that he can at uh, Rock Island Auction and James D. Julia Auction House, as well as going around the world and seeing guns in private collections and him and Carl uh, in Arizona doing their two-gun action challenge matches, testing various firearms, as well as going to Tiger Valley, hard as hell, um, Hard as Hell 2-Gun and uh, Desert Brutality, and uh, they're doing Finnish Brutality, which I think they're actually in Finland either. I think they're going to Finland in August. I don't know. I I should really put a uh, question in for the their um, their uh, monthly Q&A on both of them, because I do subscribe and been Patreon on both of them. Uh, but it's just like, huh, it's cool stuff. Also, uh, maybe I should I should start watching some more videos by Leonard French, uh, the copyright attorney, uh, who, who's on YouTube. Uh, I'm also a patron of him because I just like the idea of having, having uh, these types of people out there who do these sort of things. And it's amazing what the internet actually has brung, brought to us where we have these amazing amount of technology and knowledge accessible in our phone. Information, I shouldn't say. I should say information versus knowledge. Uh, though we do have knowledge like that, like watching Leonard French is quite... Uh, interesting, as well as uh, something else that um, they got from InRange, specifically uh, Ian uh, from Forgotten Weapons got me onto a C and Arsenal, C and R, Arsenal. Um, they're a uh, group that's doing World War One firearms, arms, and they also have a cool, uh, cool thing called cool uh, sub show called Anvil, which is their armorer slash gunsmith um, doing work on firearms and stuff and it's just i i like that sort of thing of like the machinery and the work and stuff like that i'm not i don't do a lot of it myself but i can see the interest in it so i'm just gonna throw that out there watch those guys if you want to it's just cool firearm stuff and it's cool to learn the history about these sometimes not forgotten weapons like ian does but just like historically old guns that we don't see much anymore that look cool to look at you're like what the heck is that that's a cool looking gun but we don't we don't know the history, or it's not as easily documented. And it's amazing that we've got people like that, like uh, the guys from CN Arsenal and Ian going around looking up the history and documentation of this. We've got people doing these projects over here, and we've got people designing new guns over here, and we've got Cody Wilson and his, his crazy 3D printing company, as well as his uh, CNC machines that, uh, that will make you a 1911 in your bathroom if you want to plug the unit in there and have it work there. It's like, it's an amazing time we live in. And... We've never had this much information at our fingertips. Before it used to be restricted. Uh, I, I, speaking of which, of um, I've been watching the Ben Shapiro uh, Sunday uh, Sunday show, uh, Sunday special that they do for the Daily Wire, which is a free show. It's an hour long show where he interviews somebody. So he's done um, Eric Weinstein. He's done Mike Rowe. He did, he's done Jordan Peterson, which I don't think I've watched. I haven't watched the Jordan Peterson one yet. Uh, he did Joe Rogan and Adam Carolla, which were quite amazing. Um, oh jeez, he's done a few other guys, uh, um, which is just great to watch. And it's interesting seeing these, uh, you know, people like that, like the long form story 
telling podcast. That uh, Joe has Joe like Adam Crow is the king of podcasting. Joe's the the Joe Rogan experience is amazing for the long form because he he just seems to hit it out of the park with a lot of his stuff. Um, so I'm just can't even get around to listen to it. And then you know I haven't listened to my guys for the fifth column, but I think I'm only two episodes behind. I think they only released two episodes. In July too, so they've had a slow July. Granted, when Michael's busy, Michael Moynihan's busy. Matt Welch is off doing stuff with Reason. Camille's busy with his kid, and you know, just cool stuff like that. But I can see why podcasts, which is amazing, because radio is technically dying. Satellite radio is the only thing that's really working, but terrestrial radio is not really doing that well, AM or FM. Um, but podcasting's works, and I think the thing is, is that the the no censorship or we only censor as much as we want, and the ability to just know, know, like, you know, you can do, you can talk about what you want on here, and you can run with it. It's just, it's, it's cool, and also how legitimately inexpensive it is for anybody to do it. Granted, if you have to be, you have to have promotional stuff, you have to have money to do it, you have to have a team who's really good. Like, I wish I had a uh, sound guy who was, like, you know, like Stephen... Crowder, sound guy Edward. I wish I had a guy like that. I wish I had a legitimate producer. I wish I could do, you know, maybe, you know, build some, uh, you know, inlays or overlays and shit like that going forward when I start my stuff. And I don't know if I'll post it just on, I don't know if I'll post the stuff to YouTube. I don't know if I'll post it to BitChute. I don't know if I'll post it on a different video platform. I don't know if, uh, if at that time when I'm going around to it, Twitch will have like a, you know, podcast only section that's kind of like for us and, well, we'll have to see going forward. Um, another thing to look forward to. I highly doubt I pay enough to um, Simon's company to host tons of web videos of me just docking like this. I don't even know where I put my camera in this room. I also need to get my logo. Uh, I need to get a Jaws Consortium logo printed out here, and I probably should get a CRISPR drawer logo put in on something. Eh, maybe, maybe not. Joe didn't. I guess Joe's only logo was his entrance thing, which I could also do, but I feel like that'd be stealing from Joe. Eh, things to think about. And we're almost at 50 minutes here. And I think that should be good. Ah, well, thanks for listening to Tomatoes with the Clapper Boards, uh, episode 14. And I will see you, well, I will talk to you all again soon, hopefully. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. <laughs>